there are two worlds surrounding you. One is the world they tell you about on the evening news. The other is the one they don't. You're listening to the Ian Wishart Investigates podcast, Great Sacks in Berlin, Confessions of an American Spy. I got captured once, I got captured by the Russians. I was at the end of a runway in Leipzig, and uh, I was in a tree. Next thing you know, there's a 357 in my head. Alan Brown's throwing me on the floor. While we were in the middle of the second day of meetings, the Secret Service showed up right, in Auckland, grabbed Cliff and says, get the hell out of here and get out of here now. We sat down in the White House with uh, President Reagan and had the Weinberger and Schultz were there, and I said... The Australian guy was picked up by the New Zealand police. He was deported back, he was sent back to Australia. He was assassinated 48 hours later. He was shot right through the Lincoln head. Episode 2. Welcome back to what is arguably one of the most entertaining accounts from the front lines of American and Russian spycraft during the Cold War that you might ever hear. The American being interviewed in this episode is Steve Dement, drafted into the US Army as a saxophone player in the late 1960s, but immediately posted to a military intelligence unit in Germany. These interviews date back to 1996, recorded on a Sony cassette deck in Auckland, New Zealand, and the tapes have never been released until now. It is a story that begins in the cat-and-mouse intrigue between the CIA and KGB in Berlin, but as you'll see, the game spreads to New Zealand, Australia and the Pacific in future episodes. Sadly, Steve Dement is no longer with us, but his larger-than-life personality illuminates the dusty pages of history. I'm Ian Wishart, and this is episode 2 of my podcast, Great Sacks in Berlin, Confessions of an American Spy. Let's rejoin the interview as Steve explains how spy agencies rely on fake news to boost their budgets. Well, actually, the only experience I had with the CIA, and it was a crazy one, um, was that all reports went to the CIA and to, and to the Pentagon. Those are the two sources. There was no reporting in Europe. Yep. Okay. So it went in. It's a true story. We used to take turns. We used to revolve what we call flights. Okay? And it would be, we'd be a French flight or a British flight or an American flight. And we would take and fly reconnaissance over hot spots. And well, we were using everything. We were using, in the case of some cases, we were using, we were using um, low flying. You know, we were using choppers in some cases, helicopters. Some of them were using really high stuff. Um, it varied, you know, um, depending on what the need or what the demand was. I mean, they'd pull up and call up whatever they wanted at the time. Even a B-52, if they bloody wanted to do it. But they all depended on what they needed. And and usually we get really bored because you can only take so many pictures, of the same old stuff, so many times. Yeah. And on the way back over West Berlin, there was a nudist colony. <laughs> and it happened to be one of the low flights. I took pictures of this nudist colony. And I sent this big report about how it was the playground of the East German hierarchy, and they were doing this and that. And then was, they were, this guy was shacking up with this broad, and I did this whole big report. It's like some poor clerk in the CIA is going to get a real joke out of this. Well, son of a bitch, it got sent out. Four days later, they demanded more information in greater detail. And I thought, what am I going to do that? This is already a fairy tale. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened was is that, is that they wanted more, obviously it was a fictitious thing, but they wanted more information. Now that coincided with the first of the ICBM sites that were starting to establish in, 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 East, in, in, in East Germany. And the SAM sites were getting real thick and heavy. And we were trying to get, we were just getting new shots, new photographs of the new stuff. And as it turned out, they wanted more on it. So I thought, God damn, I better do more. So I did more. 
And and finally, I went to my commander. I said to to McCord, and I said, "Look, this is all made up." And he said, "No, you keep on doing it." <laughs> I said, "Why?" He says, "You just keep on doing it. Whatever they want, you give it to them." And, and I said, "Well, if I don't," he said, "If you don't, it's your problem." Yeah. Okay. So there was that situation. And what they were doing was, is they were making up false, taking up false information along with the photographs, and building a bigger scenario. Yeah. Okay. So at that point. If I hadn't gone along with it, then I would have been dealt with accordingly. And once you start into that thing, then you realize that all of a sudden you're putting up false information. You're, you're breaking all the rules. Yep. And if you're doing it on the blessing, but some clean-cut dude along the way comes along and says, by the way, <laughs> while you were doing this, you know, we're going to hang you yeah. for it. Um, which is why I got actually I got involved in Extended. We're the only unit that got combat pay in Europe. We got hazardous duty pay. We were we were never sent to anywhere else. Okay, you couldn't. You, I requested Nam, God knows how many times. You don't. You get sent. They extend you all they want, automatically. You don't have a choice. And 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 um, and you're stuck. And even when you get out, you're being recruited. You know. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's that story. Do you have a um? Give me help with characterization here. Do you have a partner that you used to work with or anything like that? Yeah, we used to work with our main pilots were, were British. Uh, the logical reason was because they spoke English, which <laughs> 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 is a big plus. But what what happened was is that we had an interesting unit. Is that is that the unit that we had was that even though I was I wasn't I wasn't a field grade I was just like a sergeant. We had the same status, okay, as as a colonel. And so we had a relationship one-on-one -on -one with the pilots, especially the British pilots, because they're all arrogant, pack of plumb-speaking buggers to deal with. And we used to have a really good time with them, because they, they, <laughs> they used to do things. We used to work together. They used to get the scotch for us, and they used to get some stuff for us, and we'd get stuff for them, and there was a sort of relationship that went on outside of it. But the British, there was one, there was one guy, uh, he, was, he was, this guy was the card, I mean, he, He's one of those guys that would make a make a fortune out of out of falling into a pile of shit. I mean, this guy one way or the other, and and he was amazing. Um, and when I had to do the scenario stuff and we do flies again and stuff like that, he'd come up with <laughs> things that we could <laughs> we could make up. Uh, so I did. There was the other thing that we did, and not many people know that, is a thing called chaff. And and that is is that Berlin was surrounded by by like twenty two battalions. And, and so when they wanted us to not see what was going on, or we didn't want to see what, what they're going on, is we used to go up and fly and, and throw out tons and tons of, of aluminum foil, tin foil. Yep. And I used to bugger up all the, the things. So what happened was that was like a starting gun, okay, in the, in the business, okay, because when they threw their chap up, we knew, shit, they're doing something. <laughs> <laughs> and then we throw our chap up and they go, oh, shit, these guys do that. <laughs> Which is usually the prettier to invite in the tournament. Yeah, and then the other thing was, is too, is that in those, see, in those days, um, I mean, drugs were, were, were prevalent, especially the, the Turkish, okay, the hash, Turkish hash. I mean, if you had a block of hash with a Turkish government stamp on it, well, I mean, that was better than a Cadillac. Yeah. You know, this was an amazing thing to have. And it became very, uh, it, was, it was rampant, you know, 
and, and we were a part of that supply field. I mean, that could, we actually were part of that to take care of uh, all kinds of situations, especially at J Rock. Uh, to give to, to this guy, when I remember this is one of the J Rocks I got one night, we had a guy that came that came across under the old person's act. In other words, when, when you got old in East Germany, they would throw you out to the east, to the west because they didn't, didn't want to take care of you. Yep. This old boy came across, and we, put, we brought him in, and he said, and I interviewed him, he seemed like a nice guy, and I talked with him and everything, and he says, do you want to know about the, the new rocket sites? And I said, what rocket sites? He says, these ones here, this and this and this. I said, geez, yeah. Okay, so he told me about the rocket site. He said, did you see the new configuration, this new SAM site that's over here? I'm sitting here, and this was like week in and week out going through this. I said, how did you get this? And he said, well, he said, he said, I was in the West, and I was captured when I visited my family in the East, and I vowed to get even, because they put me in prison. And when I got out, I'd ride a bicycle, and I looked like an old man, to the gate of, of airfield. And I do it every day at the exact time. Right. Would he ride through the gate? He'd ride through the gate. He'd, he'd go take he'd take cameras, his camera, he'd shoot all the way down and back again. He had, he had a photographic memory. He'd memorize everything. He'd, he'd tell you anything he wants you to know. And they'd come and get him. They'd say, quick, old man, come on, you got to get out of here. You're getting into trouble, okay? Come on. And they'd get him out of there. And he'd go to his next place and do exactly the same thing. And he did it for years. Okay. And when he got kicked back over, he was, our, he was the most significant source we had. But nobody, but the problem was we were ordered to keep him. The Americans said, we got to have this guy. Yeah. But then there was the, the battle was on. And the battle was on is who's going to get the guy? Is the British going to get the guy because it's part of a British, British program? Or is it the Americans going to get the guy? And there was this thing. And so we were ordered to, to uh, relocate him, but under secrecy, and keep him under wraps for us. And um, I got into trouble for that because I didn't do it. You know, Because this guy never would have had a normal life. Hmm. And so I was hung out on that one, you know, for, for disobeying. Um, well, I had a choice. <laughs> Either did some more stuff that they wanted, okay, or, or you got, or you were, you know, you were looking at a, at a court-martial, of which there's, you were guaranteed to be found guilty. There was yeah. no getting around it. So you just did more, did more stuff that they wanted. And, and, it just go, and it was just, go, the deeper you are in it, the more you're in it. The more you've, they've got you, you know, you keep going, you keep on thinking you're doing a good job, you're doing the right thing, but it's it's almost a setup where if they decide they're going to have you, you 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 don't have a choice. You don't go into the army as a saxophone player and end up in the in, in, in probably the most successful intelligence unit, in the most dangerous unit in Europe by accident. You know, I mean, there's a reason, and then there's the reason why I get extended. And there's a reason why all this shit's happening. Monica and I. We were married. We'd wake up in the morning, come out of our house, and there'd be bloody Russians sitting at the end of the city. And I'd wave at him. <laughs> I would wave at him. I was like, ah, oh, jeez, what am I doing? This country, you know. Mm-hmm. It was. So the, the the thing that in in in, in it is is that you got to remember, you know, at the end of the day, we're working for the CIA. Yeah. And the CIA can pull anything. So you uh, was there a defense intelligence agency at this point, or was it really just a a list? Title. No, no, it was the United States. It was the MS. It was the United States military liaison mission to the Soviet forces. That was our tag. Yeah. Okay. And and which meant that um, if we could drive those cars anywhere we wanted to with diplomatic tags, and we and we and we were in uniform, so they could identify us as being part of it. But what they didn't know was is that of course we once we lost them, 
um, we would change into civilian clothes and, 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 and go to a pickup car and then take off and go and do whatever we had to do. Yeah. There was so not attracting attention being, you just mentioned as a local sort of thing, in a local car. In a local car, but you see, we actually had to run all over the place. We were in Czechoslovakia and Yugoslavia and everywhere. And some stuff we did overt. In other words, we were overtly out there. Okay, yeah. it, was, it was legal for us to be there. Yeah. But our goal would be if we found something, if let's say there was an operations going on we wanted to get into, they couldn't imprison us, they couldn't, there were certain things they couldn't do, but they could kill us as long as it looked like an accident. Yeah. They could, they could uh, imprison us and hold us until, until some sort of deal got cut. But the East Germans didn't have the same agreements. So if you got an East German, he'd kill you. He didn't care. He didn't have any binding them. These Germans were bloody dangerous. They'd try to kill you. And, and, but the Russians were bound because it was Russians we had in Frankfurt. Yeah. And the East Germans... So there was a Russian unit doing the same thing in Frankfurt, basically. Exactly. And, and, the, and the scary guys were the, were the East Germans. They could, they, they'd kill you in a heartbeat. And, and so we'd go into sites. We had this crazy best... We had a couple of real crazy majors. One was this Marine guy. He was a nuts son of a bitch. He was crazy. And we went into a... Into a in the, we were in, in the... In a mission car, you know, with in uniform, we went right into a into the training area where there, were, there was this big bloody operation with tanks and everything. And I was saying, this isn't a good idea. This really isn't a good idea. And we're going over these hills on a dirt road that's just as wide. There's trees on each side, and it's only as wide. I go over the hill, and here's this bloody tank coming out of this up this way. And I said, son of a bitch. And he goes, I'll take care of this. And he rolled down the window, and he's screaming, I'll get you, you fucking shit. He's fucking nowhere. I'm backing up. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get out of there. <laughs> Once, he was crazy. His name was Major Ball. This son of a bitch is nuts. And every time, and I draw a ball all the time, huh? And then we had this, we had a mansion, and Potsdam was like this, and we had this real long driveway, you know, like this. And, and it was like in here and then out here. And this is like like a like quarter of a mile stuff. Yeah. And the Germans had this, Guard checks went here and right there because when we would go out, they would just radio and then they'd trail us. And then we came in, that would book and it gets here. Yeah. So I'd pick, we'd get our stuff and our kit and we're ready to go. And I'd come down the hill and it's, when I first drew him, he said, See that shack? And I said, Yeah. And he says, Drive right through it. I said, There's a guy in there. And he says, I know that. I said, Go through it. I said, Okay, you're the boss. Went through it, whammo, Russian goes flying. <laughs> 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 I go take enough doing my thing. Come back. I drew him. Two weeks later, I drew him again. I said, go on. He says, he says, hit that right. He says, again? He said, there's a guy in there. He said, hit it again. I said, okay. So driving down, whammo, hit the guy, rush, he goes like. <laughs> <laughs> we were gone about three weeks. We got back, and everything was fine. Everything looked the same. They rebuilt the shack. I got to call, I got Ball again. Ball says, go on down. I said, what about the shack? He said, right, right over. I said, okay. I went flying down there, and all of a sudden, wham. <laughs> and they had reinforced it with concrete and steel. <laughs> Until <laughs> 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 they wiped out the car, this Russian gets out and sticks his head around and goes. Man, it was crazy. <laughs> and see, we had to obey those guys. And then there was this guy, we had another guy, Major Monzo. He was another, this guy was a real fruitcake. He, was, he, he thought I was out of a James Bond flick, this dude. And we went out and we were shooting this film, and we get and we said, oh, we'll spend the night, because we had these sort of safe havens, we'd stay at hotels, and we're in this yeah. hotel. And the guys get duct tape, and he's taping all of this 
all of these this film to himself, and he's got duct tape around him. He had a really hairy body in his case. And I'm saying, what are you doing? And he says, I'm taking it safe and secure. And I said, but why are you doing that? I mean, why are you taping it to yourself there? And he says, and that way it's secure. And I said, well, it is. He said, so it's going to be easier to kill you than take it. You know? <laughs> why don't you just put it in a neat bag on the corner over there? If that thing happens, you'll probably still be alive. <laughs> Anyhow. Um, the other thing that happened was is we used to be in high-speed chases all the time, and we're talking fast stuff, you know, this is full-on. And you'd be out there going as fast as you can, you know, and you get this guy sitting next to you who's a colonel or something, and he's saying, you got to go faster, you got to go faster. And you think to yourself, look, this idiot's been out here two days, and, he's, and he doesn't have a clue what it's about or what's going on. And you know, this guy, he made me salute him, and made me this job, and I said, this for this. And so we were doing about 100, 150 miles per hour. On a really shit road, and I said, I said, God, I'm hungry. And I looked back and I said, I know there's a sandwich back there somewhere. You know, go on. I screamed and said, You're gonna kill me. You're gonna kill me. And I said, Unless you lighten up, that's right. You are. <laughs> well, that was our job. I mean, we used to have a good time with those guys. I mean, it, they would send the guys into into West Berlin, and, and then you know. In, they all left. We had a problem because all our forts were all 309, were all 390, VA, 390s. And the 40 Chevrolet put out the 409. Yeah. And the 409 was a killer. Well, the Russians went and bought uh, three 409s, okay, and put them on the road to chase us. And Pershing's got well, when we had the 390s, they couldn't catch us. Yeah. Well, all of a sudden they got the 409s. We couldn't shake the 409. We couldn't do it. <laughs> there was no way we could shake this 409. I mean, if we tried and tried, we said, shit. So some, some bright spark up in military you know, hierarchy said, well, what we'll do is we'll put a ban on old Chevrolet parts into Europe. That way, when they break down, they can't get parts. <laughs> well, they did. And every guy that owned a Chevrolet in West Berlin or Frankfurt or wherever was in real shit could get any parts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was months and months, and a year went by, and all of a sudden, one day we saw, we saw the three of the things, they were starting to fall apart. Couldn't fix them, and but in the meanwhile, all the poor guys with Chevrolets over there going, "Why can't I get my?" Okay, so we came so in here. How many were there? There was, there were actually about. Uh, there's only about 14 of us in the whole unit. We did all of our own in, um, intelligence reports, our own IRs. We had one maniac. They used to have the. Remember the May Day parades? The, the comics. <laughs> we had this, the same guy I'm telling you about. This major ball. We, used to, we ran over things. He was instructed to go up and cover the May Day parade in West in East Berlin. And and we came in to go out on, on on a searchlight, which is a whole other thing I should tell you about. On a searchlight, he was sitting in front of the television set with this camera going. <laughs> <laughs> To the Russian broadcast. Oh, but then there was searchlight. Now, searchlight was a whole different thing. What happened on a searchlight, that was an urgent code. And the searchlight was where we had an incident that was occurring in East Berlin. Okay? And that, is, there could be a, a, an American soldier in trouble, that could be a diplomatic problem, that could be you know, an intelligence matter, that could be anything. We don't know. But searchlight means you come in. So we, we got into searchlight. It's a true story. And as we found out, I found out, well, we had to get this, these, this GI, 
who was in trouble, okay, for smuggling an East German girl across through Checkpoint Charlie. Yeah. U.S. has been firing on our egg. Oh. Is that right? Yeah. So, that, that thing. Oh, sorry. That's right. Okay, so you hear the searchlight thing going in. So we had to go get this. There was an American officer who had gotten a, a, a one-day pass in East Berlin, got himself into trouble. And it was quite often, because what happened is, is they'd get reasonably drunk on the East, and then they'd, an operative girl would say, look, you got to smoke on me across. And then the, the GI would get all drunk and happy and say, fine, get in the trunk. And then they'd get to the border, and it was all wiped up, and then they'd stop them and open it up and get an international incident. Yeah. Well, at the time that that was going on, I didn't know who it was we were going to get out of there. But we had to get it, whoever it was, we had to get him out of there quick before charges get pressed, and then we'd fly him out of the country. You should have known. So I went there to pick this guy up, and it was this, this guy, Lieutenant Glowwatch, and he was dating Monica, and it pissed me off because I was trying to marry the girl. <laughs> this is it. I'm gonna. This is, I can hardly wait. So we got him out of there, okay, and got him back to the mission house. And the general came down and he said, "Good work, Steve. You got him out of there." I said, "Yeah." And I said. Can you make sure that he gets to now? He said he's going out tonight. I said thanks, and I thought that'll get even. <laughs> Do you know what happened? The Sunrise got to Nam. You know what his duty was? He was in charge of the greens, okay, at the golf course in Saigon for the military officers. That was his whole tour of duty. <laughs> and I was still out there doing the dirt. Yeah. You know, I was out still doing shit, and he was in charge of the greens at the goddamn airport. And Monica, of course, we, then we got married. But every night we'd hear. I mean, not every night, but. At least once a week, you know, somebody gets shot on the on the wall. Yeah. Um, and we used to do a lot of work in the East, you know. The what East. about rivalry between the? Um, I mean, you got CIA doing their own stuff for their own people. Mm -hmm. You got um, MI6 or whatever it was mm -hmm. floating around. Obviously, you guys were there. Um, who else? I mean. Uh, did you come across, for example, KGB or anyone like that, or were the Russians you were dealing with more military? Well, we had KGB in there too. I think the best way to do it was is that they were as overt as anybody else was. I mean, we all—it was like an—it was like this amazing chess game where everybody knew what everybody was doing. The best example of that was uh, they'd have they'd have what they call an Allied's an Allied's uh, uh, dance and, and celebration for the Allies. Which includes so what you had was this huge big celebration with all the mucking mucks of Russia and France and Germany, and, and who were also intending there, but the, the British and the Americans, and and it was chock a block, and, and we all got our duties, the, you know, the, the, we, the French guys had their sign, we all just take pictures of the Russians and the East Germans, right? Okay, so we had our little cameras and stuff, and our job was to take. They all say, take pictures of the American guys. Make sure that you get the CIA guys. You guys make sure you get the KGB guys. So imagine going to this huge, big, elaborate ball with all of these hundreds of people, and here are all these little enlisted guys running around all over the place with cameras trying to take pictures of everybody else who doesn't want to have their pictures taken. And you get some. You get people doing this. I mean, it was bizarre. We should have just sat down and said. Could everybody just stand up for one classroom shot? <laughs> <laughs> the easy way of doing things. So it was, it was, there was an intense rivalry, but there was also a very realistic understanding. Their butts were in a sling just like anybody else. If you were on the front line, they owned your ass. Whether you were KGB or whether you were like us, military intelligence, CIA or whatever, 
we, we were less worried about them than we were our guys. I mean, what harm could they do to me? I mean, mm. at the end of the day, bugger all. But the guys that could hurt me forever, of course, was the CIA, because they could, they could it, you have, those guys would go to extreme measures to get what they wanted. And, mo and most of it was propaganda. Mm. I mean, we knew that the Russians weren't a power base in the 60s. We knew that. I mean, we knew it. But here, we're having to do intelligence reports and make, make up stuff to enforce the fact that they were really deadly. It was bullshit. They weren't deadly at all. Yeah. Well, you know. Great Sacks in Berlin. Confessions of an American Spy continues in a moment. Imagine a world where TV reporters actually gave you the facts, not an agenda. A world where interviewing your keyboard was seen as workplace humor, not a compulsory job requirement. This year, one man will break through the BS. One man will wring the truth out of truthiness. One man will leap tall buildings at a single... <laughs> More stimulating talk radio. The Ian Wishart Show on Live365.com. Talk radio for grown-ups. Coming up on the next episode. One night we decided that the Berlin Wall had to go. So we took down about six cases of champagne and shook the bottles up. Really, we threw them over the top so that when they hit, they exploded and set off the mines. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were just into it so deep that there was a lot of stuff that we were holding secret. I mean, there was a lot of stuff from World War II. Buildings where there was uh, like death chambers, and I mean, we were, there was one building that was under was virtually sealed by the Americans, and that was a chamber where they drowned little children. That was scary. I mean, that stuff really scared you because there was you could feel, you could feel it. Great Saxon Berlin: Confessions of an American Spy is an Ian Wishart podcast. Follow Ian Wishart on Facebook or Twitter or through your podcasting service. I see you suffering in silence is undying your heart you look lost can I help you to Stay as well.